0: Yes, we are back for another episode, another season of the HMS Podcast. It is great to be back. So looking forward to a new season of the HMS Podcast. We started this out in March of 2020 when all of our students were shut down and learning from home. It was a way for us to stay connected with everyone. We continued the podcast into the 2020-2021 school year. It was great to continue following up with students that were at home for hybrid, that were maybe even learning virtually all year. And now here we are, year three, season three of the HMS Podcast. I am looking forward to bringing you news and events and interviews from Highland Middle School for the 2021-2022 school year. Some things to look forward to on this year's podcast. We'll be interviewing new staff members. We'll be hearing from students that are involved in a plethora of activities. And yes, I said plethora. Look that up. P-L-E-T-H-O-R-A. That's a great word. If you are interested in being interviewed, if you have an idea for an episode or if you are interested in creating original music to play at the beginning of the podcast any of those things please contact me and we will schedule a time to get together but in the meantime please enjoy the latest episode of the hms podcast go Scots! Welcome back to the HMS Podcast. Mrs. James and I are so excited to be joined today by Dr. Ethan Cross. Dr. Cross is one of the world's leading experts on controlling the conscious mind. An award-winning professor at the University of Michigan's top-ranked psychology department in its Ross School of Business, he is the director of the Emotion and Self-Control Laboratory. Dr. Cross has participated in policy discussions at the White House and has been interviewed uh, for his research by CBS Evening News, Good Morning America, Anderson Cooper, Full Circle, NPR's Morning Edition, and now the HMS Podcast. His research has been featured in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the New Yorker, the New England Journal of Medicine and Science. Dr. Krauss, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thanks for having me. It's an, it's an honor to be here. I have been looking forward to this conversation. And, you know, I hope, if nothing else, we can demonstrate in the next few. Minutes or the time we have, that it's possible for an Ohioan, a set of Ohioans, and and someone from up north to to get along just fine.
0: We will certainly keep this cordial. <laughs> so I guess we you know we'll jump right into it, Dr. Krause, Just tell us about yourself. You know your family, your education, your background. I mean anything. Uh, just tell us about yourself.
1: Sure, um, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, and you know not you know Brooklyn right now is a pretty hip. Place to be. But when I grew up there, it was absolutely not. And I say that not because I was a trend in any way. I mean, it was just kind of a, a tough, gritty neighborhood um, or borough, I should say. Uh, anyway, I grew up there. And, um, you know, growing up, uh, I always, one of my, my things my dad used to always teach me was. That whenever I experienced some adversity, you know, rejection or an argument with someone else, he'd say, "Hey, just try to find the solution inside yourself. You know, turn your attention inward, try to problem solve." And and that was a tool I really benefited from growing up. Um, you know, I, I like to joke, except it's a truth. I'd ask like a girl out on a date; she'd say no. I'd figure, all right, why did this happen? Okay, and then I'd ask another girl. I just keep doing it. I would never really get stuck. And then I got to college and I took my first psychology class. And what I learned was, on the one hand, this this tool, this strategy that my dad had taught me to use, this ability to introspect, to turn inward, to try to make sense of my problems, this was a remarkable tool that lots of people benefited from. But it also got lots of other people in big, big trouble, leading them to, to get anxious and worry and depressed and angry. And so that was really interesting to me. Like, why do we have this capacity? Sometimes it helps us other times it hurts us. And I went to uh, graduate school to figure out how to use the tools of science and the brain to, to answer it. And I've been doing it ever since um, almost all of it at the university of Michigan.
0: So you, you mentioned your dad giving you this advice, was your dad a psychologist or, you know, where did he come up with this advice?
1: No, far from it. My dad, um, my dad, you know, I think at best maybe had a year of college under his belt before he dropped out. He's this really colorful character who he looked like if you imagine what someone living in Brooklyn during the 1980s would look like, you'd you'd see my dad, like kind of <laughs> big bushy mustache, like thick, thick accent. If someone cut him off on the road, he'd like, you know, bleep you and very aggressive love watching the Yankees. But when he wasn't acting in those ways and doing those things, he was reading um, you know, about Eastern philosophy and meditation. He was swept up with the uh, New Age movement and he would talk to me about those things. Um, and I remember when I was five years old, I was really excited to get a bicycle for my birthday. And he picked me up early from school, which was so exciting to, to I thought, Get me Well, it was to get me a birthday present. I thought it was the bike, but instead he took me to New York City to get a a mantra (laughs) to to learn how to meditate. So that was my fifth birthday present, um, which I have not duplicated for my kids. You asked me about my family. I've got I've got two daughters, a sixth grader and a um, a third grader. You know, every time the grades, every time I get it, they switch. It's very confusing, but um, um, I haven't duplicated that experience with them.
2: Mm-hmm. yeah well something that you mentioned w- that we have in common is I was a psychology um, a major I guess my undergrad only at Ohio State so'll we'll have that going against us uh-huh. there but, that's okay um with that yeah yeah with that being said though um, you know some of the things I remember as an undergrad we would go participate in studies like for the graduate students and go and answer surveys and things like that so, if you could briefly just explain like what goes on in your lab. So I know um, Mr. Bradley kind of introduced that in in his introduction, like what takes place in, in your lab?
1: So I run this lab called the emotion and self-control lab, and it is just such a joy to, to spend my time working with students, undergrads, um, graduate students, even high school students, sometimes um, doing research and, It's funny because when I was in college, I remember when I was first exposed to the idea of research, I thought, oh my God, this is the most boring thing in the world. Why does anyone do research? But the truth is that once you find yourself really interested in a question, I can think of a few things that are more fun and exciting than doing research. What research involves is giving you tools to answer questions that you have. And so the questions that I have tend to be about how people can manage their emotions. Um, So the the kinds of things we study in the lab are, we ask if a person is motivated to think, feel or behave in a particular way, what are the psychological tools that allow them to bring those goals to fruition? So let's say you wanna be happier or sadder, like how can you do that? Let's say you wanna perform better on the sports field, I guess you'd never want to perform worse, and unless maybe you're a football owner right now, telling your coach to tank the tank the, um, the games to get higher in the draft. But that's a whole other podcast episode maybe for you guys. Um, but but like if you you know, let's say you're really stressed out on you've got performance anxiety on the football field or in the gymnastics arena, right? Like, what can you do to, to not just keep that anxiety in check, but harness it? To fuel more adaptive performance, how can you navigate social media more effectively so that you experience joy and fulfillment from doing so, rather than just envy looking at what all of your friends are, you know, putting out there on Instagram, making it seem like they have these perfect lives? So those those are all questions we we try to address, and um, sometimes we we use. Um, the tools of the brain to do that. So we'll use MRI techniques to see what's happening in people's brains when they're experiencing different emotions um, and, and trying to control them. We'll, we'll use people's smartphones to um, see how they're feeling throughout the day and what they're doing. And so we've got a lot of different tools um, to, to try to answer these questions. And so we do that. And then when we learn something about how people can manage their emotional lives more effectively, then our next step is to take that information and try to share it with people outside of the research arena. Because, you know, in general, we tend to just talk to people in, in the university setting when I think there's a lot we have to offer to folks outside it. And so that's another thing we try to do.
0: One of the things that was so exciting for us when we read the book was in the office at Highland middle school. And when students are dealing with anxiety and and things that are, um, they don't recognize that they have a lot within their control. Um, they just haven't experienced or they don't know the tools at their disposal. And so one of the things why, you know, uh, Brianne and I talk about this so much with kids is because they do have, um, you know, those tools at their disposal and we'll get into that uh, with some further questions. So, um, you well, of- but let let,
1: let let me stop there, Matt. For uh, um, Principal Bradley, I apologize. Um, uh, you, you could call me Ethan to get back at me. Um, let me um, let me just say, simply recognizing that you have the ability to manage your emotions—if that's all we can do in this conversation for for students at your school—I think we've done them a great service because there's actually research on this. Um, and I write a little bit about this in the book, um, the power of belief. If you th- if you don't think you can manage your emotions, then you're not going to take efforts to do so well. So step one is just is like recognizing, hey, I do possess the ability to to do this. And then step two is giving kids the tools so that once they're motivated to manage their emotions, um, they know they know what tools to use. But there's one study. I, I don't quote me on this statistic, but um, this was a large study with, I believe, um, young adults, and I think roughly forty percent believed that they could not manage their emotions. Like you, just emotions just happen, and once they do, there's not much you can do to to rein them in. And and that's just not true. You know, that is patently false. You do possess tools to manage your emotional life.
0: So you mentioned, you know, what kind of triggered your passion and curiosity for psychology, but tell us what was, what was teenager Ethan Cross interested in? So, you know, our, our pilot middle school is students in grades six, seventh, and eighth. Um, so what, like, what were you into at that time of your life?
1: Um, what was I into, um, I was, I was into sports. I, I played baseball and soccer and I wrestled and I boxed and I was really interested in, in, um, I, I love doing those kinds of things. I love watching sports. I was, uh, I was a bit of a dork in high school. I, you know, I had an interesting experience in junior high school where I, I didn't really study at all. And my grades demonstrated that you know I remember I'd come home every day I'd do my homework on the bus coming home from school and my mom would always hey, don't you have any homework like, I did it already. Um, and so it turns out like you can get by by just doing the bare minimum but um, but then I remember I had this like pivotal moment in my in my life where I remember um, there was like an award ceremony before we graduated in eighth grade and my mom and dad were there and my grandparents were there. And all my friends kept on getting called up on the stage for all of these awards. And, you know, like they kept walking by and I would just sit there and I, I looked over at my my grandfather and my grandmother who escaped the Holocaust and like worked their butts off to just give to the next generation. And I see them like this, you know, like looking <laughs> down in shame. And then I did get called for one award for gym class. And, you know, like I think that made matters worse to them that that was why <laughs> being recognized for. So, uh, I, so I actually just made a decision at that point, um, that I was going to, I was going to actually like take school seriously. And, um, we call that intrinsic motivation, right? It wasn't like, I, I just decided that this was important to me and that I could do this. And, and so I worked really hard in, in high school, um, and, and it, and it paid off and, um, So, so I was into, into studying, I was into sports, I was into girls, they weren't very much into me, though, for, for a while. Um, And that, that pretty much captured my, my, my high school years. Sound, sound familiar?
0: (laughs) We, We hear those conversations a lot. Yes. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Well, um, Dr. Cross, like kind of you sharing that about your middle school, like, and then into high school. So you have mentioned with your, um, the influence that your dad had in your life um, and leading you to where you are today. Um, So I know you shared with us already a little bit about, you know, having these questions and kind of getting into this field of research. But as a student that might be thinking of questions that they're passionate about or would want to um, explore further what does that look like? I guess into in, in college or into a university. Like, how did you kind of, I guess, go do, get down this path?
1: Well, so you know, I, I, I think this is a great question, and um, I'm so glad you asked it because where I came from, and I think this is true for many many students, like there were just a, there was a predefined set of paths for me coming out of high school if you did well in high school and went to a good college, basically you had um, really two options. You could become a lawyer or a doctor. And when I say doctor, I mean the real kind of doctor, not, not what I am, you know, not the PhD I'm talking MD, um, you know, white lab coat, stethoscope. And, and that was it. If you got good grades, like there was no other alternatives. And so I got to college and I took all, I was, you know, signed up for all of my pre-med classes and um, like, I just didn't like them and I wasn't doing well in some of them. And I also, they weren't enjoyable. And so after my first semester, I took this, what felt like a pretty big leap of faith with the encouragement of. Um, of my parents to just sample broadly, and so I took a class in folklore, like folklore. I didn't even know what folklore was coming out <laughs> of high school in Brooklyn. Um, I took a psych class. I took a class in international relations. Um, uh, I took a class in 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 Eastern philosophy, and and that was just really eye opening because it exposed me to all of these topics that I knew nothing about, found really interesting. And, and then I kept doing that for a few semesters before I settled on psychology. And, and the way I knew that psychology was the thing for me was I found myself thinking about what I had learned about in class, outside of class. So when I, I'd be studying in the bookstore for midterms and on breaks, I'd go to the psychology section and thumb through the different books or it'd be a Saturday night and my friends and I would be walking to the parties on campus. And, you know, I'd be talking, Hey, did you know about this thing we learned about in class? What do you think about it? And my friends would look at me like I was from an alien planet. What is wrong with you cross? What are you talking about? It's Saturday night. And um, but, but the, the insight I had back then was, Hey, if I'm spending my spare time thinking about these things, why don't I, why don't I get paid to do that? Why don't I just make that into my vocation, my job? And, um, and that, 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 that's what I did. And it has steered me well. Yeah.
0: So let's, let's get in specifically. um, And let's talk a little bit about, uh, about the book. So the book chatter, like I I mentioned at the start was just um, so impactful, impactful for me uh, personally um, as a dad, um, as a principal um, and so you describe, um, the term chatter, um, as, as, you know, I'm, I'm, simplifying a little bit, obviously, um, uh, of this negative self-talk, right. Rumination and, and how we all have an inner voice in our head and, and it's, uh, it's positive or negative. Um, but you describe a situation at the beginning of the book where you yourself experienced chatter, this rumination, this negative self-talk, um, how has that experience impacted your research?
1: Um, it, it, it's impacted it, impacted it in a few different ways. Um, so the, the experience I had was several years ago, we did a study that ended up getting a lot of attention. And um, I was invited to go on the, the evening news on television. It was really an exciting time. It was early in my career. It was the first time after I appeared on television that my mom. Recognized that my my kind of doctor, writ was okay. You know, she stopped offering to help fund medical school if I wanted to. At that point, um, so so it's really exciting. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Ben. Did you have something that you wanted to say? Oh okay. no, no.
2: I'm sorry. No, you're good. <laughs>
1: um. Anyway, um. So I do this thing on TV. I'm riding high, and a couple of, of days later, I walk into my office. And I see an envelope hand addressed to me and and the envelope had, um, had a, you know, pretty ugly, threatening letter in it. That was pretty serious, serious enough that I was, you know, I had to go to the police, um, the police department, show them the letter. They gave me advice about what to do about it. Um, but it was a really, really stressful time. We just had my first, my wife and I had our first child. And now I'm thinking, um, Why did I go on TV? Why did I do this study? Like, you know, I've gotten put us all at risk. And I didn't sleep for a couple of nights. I was pacing, just couldn't stop thinking about the letter and really catastrophizing, which is a term we use to describe thinking about the worst possible case scenarios, even if they are incredibly improbable. And um, two things really happened from that episode. It lasted a couple of days. I I eventually broke out of that funk. Um, One thing is, I did something to break me out of that spiral of chatter and anxiety that ended up being a tool for managing chatter that we would go on to study at, at my very peak of anxiety when I was having these, you know, what we can, we can say in, you know, without getting too technical, looney tunes, like thoughts were running through my head. Like at one point I started thinking, I wonder if there are bodyguards who who specialize in protecting academics (laughs) and, you know, like, They just don't exist. It just, but but the mind can take you to, you know, interesting places. And when I was started thinking about that, I remember I I actually said to myself, self-talk, Ethan, are you out of your mind? What are you doing? And, and I started talking to myself using my name. Like I would talk to uh, a best friend or a student, like, you know, basically like, you know, like get your act together. Like, you know, Let's deal with this situation constructively. Let's stop wasting time. I was, I was very firm with myself. I wasn't saying it's going to be okay and have a cup of tea and, you know, which can be useful at times, but I was, it was, this was like wrestling coach from high school saying, stop this, get your act together. And so I used language to help me do it. Like talking to myself with my name helped like switch my perspective. And so we've gone on to study that, um, We call it distant self-talk, and it's one easy to use tool for managing chatter. Like think about what would you say when you when when if students are, you know, students who are listening, if they're getting anxious about something and they can't stop spiraling, think about what you would say to your best friend or your sister or your brother, if they came to you with this problem, try to give yourself the same advice you'd give them. And to help you do that, use your own name to think it through. All right, Ethan here's how I think you should manage a situation. First of all, it's gonna get better in a, in a week. You'll feel better about this tomorrow because the test will be over then and so forth and so on. So we, we identified that tool, which was kind of fun and we've continued to study it. But the other thing the experience did for me is um, it gave me a taste of the experience of chatter that I had spent a lot of time studying but hadn't really experienced full-blown myself um, before to that to that degree, I've always been pretty good at managing my emotions, and so this was kind of like a a karmic humbling event. Like now you see what it is like, and so that that's actually been been really helpful um, for humanizing. I think what what I do and understanding the people we work with better.
2: Yeah. Um... I will say that I'm so excited for our students to hear your your response to that and hear you speak about these principles um, or strategies, because it's not just coming from this crazy lady all the time or the principal telling them these things. So I, I, I have put, placed your book now like present in the front of my desk. So that way I can like actually point to it and like reference it. Not that like I'm just making these things up on the fly. You know, they can know that there's research behind these strategies and these have been tested and people have been, you know, talked to and, and, and really, truly science, you know, the, the uh, brain is so powerful.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I, I look, I am a scientist and that's my, that's my day job. And, um, uh, everything in, in chatter is science-based that that's, that's really something that's very important to me. Actually, um, if you look at the back of the book, you'll see a, a ton of notes and references. And, and actually, when I first submitted the manuscript for Chatter, the publisher came back to me and they're like, uh, "We think you might have went a little bit overboard on the references because they're longer than the text." Uh, can you can you cut? And so I actually had to cut it back by about a half because I had um, over oversighted it and stuff. So it's all grounded in science. I think that's really important because. Here's the deal with science and the science of managing our emotional lives. Science is always changing and we're always learning new things and you know, I don't think anything is ever the final final word because this brain that we possess is really mysterious, and we're learning more about it every single day. That said, I think what science does for us is it gives us like the best chance of of doing things that are gonna be good for us because there's some evidence behind it. And I can tell you in just talking to lots and lots of people from so many walks of life over the past year since the book came out, there's a lot of myths out there about what you should be doing to manage your emotions well that are not grounded in science and that are potentially harmful. And so, um, so going by science I think is, is really, really useful. One other thing I wanna to say to your students is one of the reasons I I chose to write chatter was actually based on an experience that I had with a student in the classroom where I was teaching a class on a lot of the tools I talk about in the book. And then the final day of the class um, here at the university of Michigan, a student asked me, Hey, why didn't anyone teach me about this stuff earlier on in life? Um, I'm a senior now it's, you know, I'm done. Um, Why didn't someone teach me about this stuff when it could have made a difference? And my first response was, I don't think you're totally done dealing with chatter and emotions. You will probably have a couple of opportunities to deal with it later on in life. <laughs> but um, but that aside, I didn't have a good answer. And so um, one of the reasons I was so excited to talk to the two of you was really, I mean, I I, I do think that students can benefit from knowing about this information earlier on and so the more we can do to spread this information and knowledge I think the better.
0: So uh, another I strategy gives... that go ahead Mrs. James. Go ahead
1: Mrs.
2: Bradley. No no it was just a comment no continue you're good.
0: <laughs> so you know we and we'll go back to Question six, Mrs. James. The, the beauty of technology here, we can't really interrupt each other, or we. So you also talk about you know the positive effects of being outside, and being in nature, and just this um, the ability to experience awe. So can you share a little bit more about about the research on this? But but specifically, and 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 I love um, you know that you. are are targeting our middle school students, but like, how can they use this information about experiencing awe to to combat chatter?
1: Yeah. um, So, you know, I I like to divide the world of tools for managing chatter into three domains. There are things you could do on your own. And, um, you know, like talking, giving yourself advice, using your name, that's one thing you can do on your own. There are lots of others. Uh, Then there are are people tools, ways of talking to other people that can be really useful for helping people manage your chatter. I imagine the two of you often serve that role for your students. Um, And then there are what we call environmental tools. And these are ways of managing your chatter and anxiety from the outside in, ways of interacting with the world around you that influence how we talk to ourselves. And I, I find this last category simply fascinating. And so, um, so how does this work? Well, the, the one thing you could do is go for a walk in a green space, enhance your exposure to a natural setting, a safe green space. What this does for you is two things. One, it helps restore your attention. So when, when we're experiencing chatter, all we can think about is the stuff that we're worried about. And one way to, um, you an example of this experience is is to just think about a time when you've tried to study or or read a few pages in a book or even listen to someone else talk when you were really worried about something most people have had the experience that they read those pages in the book but they don't remember anything they've read because their mind is somewhere else that's because the chatter is is consuming it's soaking up all of the attention you have and nature lets you restore that attention because it, it, you know, you're surrounded by interesting things and your mind gently drifts away from the chatter and onto the beauty around you. The other way nature can help is by giving you the opportunity to experience the emotion you mentioned before, this emotion of awe, which is an emotion we experience when you're in the presence of something that seems just bigger than you, that you have trouble explaining. And so um, like an amazing, amazing sunset or or a view that's just remarkable, like that you can't put into words. I'm gonna sneeze. One second. Uh, sorry about that. Yes, and um, you, you can see all. You can experience this emotion of awe from the natural world. You can also get it from um, from other kinds of experiences. Uh, I'll give you one. I'll give you one right now that you may not want want to hear about, but um, I actually, this past year, for the first time ever, I've been living in Ann Arbor for 13 years. I've never actually gone to an Ohio State-Michigan game, but I was able to go to the game this year. And I don't know if you, if you watched the game, but it was a pretty remarkable experience. We stormed the field. And when you see all of these people who are singing together and chanting that just feels so much bigger than you. And what happens when we experience that emotion of awe, it leads us to feel smaller. Like we feel smaller when you're when you're thinking about something bigger than yourself. And when you feel smaller, so does your chatter, so does your worry, so does your rumination. So experiencing that emotion of awe, it just helps give you a reality check. It puts things in perspective in ways that that are really helpful. Like my daughter's in middle school and you know, geez, sometimes the things that she, she has chatter about, you know, oh my God, the pencil tip is broken. What am I going to (laughs) do? Like, well, let's try to zoom out here, you know?
0: Um,
1: and so, um, so, so those are ways that you could try to get some help from the outside in and, 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 you know, what can like literally go for a walk around the neighborhood, go to the park, just try to get that mental reset rather than, You know, trying to grind through the anxiety.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I think about what you just thinking big picture, like what you're saying, zooming out for a moment. I see our middle school students, um, but adults as well. When you have this chatter that's out of control, or you know, this ruminating going on, like you want control, you want you want to feel in control of something. And so they're kind of grasping at things that maybe they may not be able to have control over. Um, and so that kind of brings me to this pandemic world we're living in, <laughs> you're, you're experiencing now and, and whatnot. Like I have seen, I guess I would like to increase. I know ex- anxiety chatter has always been around, um, but it just seems more apparent um, in our students. They're talking about it more. Um, have you seen, or is your research kind of going a different direction at all right now in the pandemic, or how can you, you see a difference with people's chatter and self control during this time?
1: Yeah, I I think we're living through the chatter event of the last hundred years, um, because we're living through a time where we don't know what's going to happen next. So things are very uncertain and we don't have control over it. And those are two building blocks for chatter those states of uncertainty and not being in control, they, they fuel our inner voice, you know, going haywire. And so, um, so I think step one is just recognizing that if you're experiencing that, that probably makes sense. It not probably, it does make sense. I think that can be liberating too. Like, Hey, if you're experiencing more chatter right now, if parent or, 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 or students, like, Makes sense um, that, that you're doing so, but there are still things you can do. Um, we've been doing research to figure out how people can manage their chatter effectively through the pandemic. And one of the things we've learned is that we did this really large study. We looked at anxiety over time. And the folks who did best were people who were not doing like one thing to manage their chatter, but each day they were using several healthy tools. So the people who did several healthy things, so they you know, advise themselves, like you know, broaden their perspective, and went for, went out in nature and talked to someone who was supportive. Those people experienced um, an approximately thirty percent lower level of anxiety than people who were using unhealthy tools, trying to just avoid thinking about it, or ruminate about it, or, or do other things. So, so there's absolutely stuff you can do to to help um, manage the uncertainty during these times
2: something I keep hearing you talk about um, you know with using these strategies um, that Mr. Bradley and myself use a lot is that these these things don't just like happen just like on a whim that really changing our chatter does take effort. you know it actually takes putting things into practice, being really um, diligent and really like mindful to do those things. So I like what you just said about those having success, you know, really, putting things in place daily to improve, you know, the outcome.
1: Yeah. I think being, being um, purposeful about your chatter, I think um, is needed. So, so, you know, you, you, typically to like, to, to, to change something about yourself, you need to be motivated to do it. And then you have to have skills to do it. And so making a commitment to manage your chatter is step one. And then thinking, thinking. Okay, well, what tools can I use to do that? That's step two. Now, a lot of the tools that are out there, a lot of the tools I talk about in the book, they're actually really simple to use, right? They don't take much effort. Um, they're it's more effortful than doing nothing often, but you know, like giving yourself advice, like, ah, come on, Ethan, what are you gonna do here? Like, that's really easy, right? I'm not, I'm not, you know, doing three sets of fifty push-ups. Um, so, but it does take some time to just learn about these tools in advance
0: so if if you could go back in time so if if we could you know go back to the 80s in brooklyn and and you could talk to middle school ethan cross knowing now what you know what advice would you give yourself Mm. um
1: what would i give myself um uh, well, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is to just ask more girls out on dates because (laughs) (laughs) eventually they do say yes. Um, so, um, but you know, that aside, um, what would I say to myself? Um, I would say to myself, um, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe loosen up a little bit when it came to to studying, like I was really you know, um, I think I think high school for me was probably the most challenging part of my life academically. Like, um, probably could have done that a little bit less. And um, but other than that, I don't know that I would I would change a, a whole lot. Um, uh, you know, I think it, it wasn't it wasn't so bad because um, that that's, that's kind of lame, right? But um, no. well, you know what? Here, here's what I would say to myself. Here's a concrete thing I would say to middle school Ethan hey, don't listen to your parents when they tell you how to choose classes in college. Listen to your friends instead, because my <laughs> parents told me to take start taking my classes at 8 a.m. And I turns out like I slept through all of them. So that would be. A <laughs> piece us.
0: Well, Dr. Cross, we're, we're coming coming up to an end of, of our time. And, and I mean, I know I can speak for Mrs. James. We could talk to you for hours, but I know you're a, a very busy man. But um this has been just so incredibly um insightful and informative um i've been really looking forward to this conversation for for a very long time so we we greatly appreciate you joining us um this is just so awesome so you know last question um and i and i listen to a lot of podcasts and 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 this tends to be kind of a a final question for a lot of these but i think it's really i think it's really good because there does come a time of the day when Dr. Ethan Cross has to turn off, you know, the research and the day job. So, you know, what do you, what do you, how do you unwind? You know, you know, what podcast do you listen to? What books are you currently reading? You know, how do you turn day job off and then become dad and friend and husband?
1: Uh, I, I love cooking. Um, the more complicated and foreign, the better. That really like takes my mind off work. Uh, I love horsing around with my kids. I've got uh, two daughters um, who don't necessarily like, like you know, physical combat, martial arts, and wrestling. But I, you know, teach them anyway, and um, <laughs> that's fun. Um, and uh, what else do I do? And then, yeah, I, I love to read. Um, usually out of out of my genre. Not like I, I read psych all day, psychology, neuroscience. I like reading history. I like memoirs. Um, And then there was one other thing that I wanted to mention. Oh, and my the way I unwind like right before bed is I violate what everyone says about like how to have good sleep hygiene like I love watching Marvel superhero comic book films like that is my (laughs) ultimate I've watched them all like three or four times and the more mindless and supernatural the action can be the better.
0: Mrs. James, do you have any final questions for Dr. Cross?
2: I'm no, I'm struggling to formulate question because my mind's already just spinning. Like how I can use this with, with students and kids. Like I'm I'm so excited to hear their reactions when they when they listen. Um, I just like, I mean, I'll be honest, I just like have kids' faces like popping into my head over just difference that you've mentioned. So these are just I'm so thankful because they this puts you know something concrete into what we've been, we're trying to like help kids through a really can be tumultuous, you know, Time of those early teenage years and our kids are rock stars we have amazing students we have a little over 400 kids uh, at our building um, and a great community of support so um, it's different every day and I just I can't wait to hear the reactions and we'll have to let you know we'll have to let yeah, you know the feedback we hear.
1: Please do and I, I, I so appreciate what you're doing and I think you know, your students are very very fortunate to have um, have educators like yourself um, guiding them. Um, it is, it is obvious from this conversation. So, uh, so let me know and please, students, don't hold it against me that I live in Ann Arbor um, and like the Wolverines. <laughs> we can all get along, and um, yeah, I hope we could stay in touch.
0: Well, thank you so much, Dr. Cross. So this much. has been this has been great. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to. This episode of The HMS Podcast. Highland Middle School students, if you would like to be interviewed in a future episode or if you have an idea for a future episode, please contact me, Mr. Bradley, and we will get you scheduled. In the meantime, I hope everybody is staying safe and doing well, and we will see you again on the next episode. Go Scott.